Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. I'd recommend them like working down a run and before they make another step is to just try two angles of attack and then how'd that feel? Did that feel fishy? Did, you know, I usually watch that line and just think about it, right? If you're swinging that fly and you just get there and you see that swing and that progression through there, think about could that steelhead get your fly? That was Jeff Liske on the angle of attack when swinging for chrome. The Great Lakes update, the Steelhead School with Rick and Jeff, and the Great Lakes Dude podcast today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is sponsored by Chota Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chota insists on the finest materials and craftsmanship you can assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chota gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Chota right now. That's Chota, C-H-O-T-A, to support this podcast and the Chota Outdoor family right now. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. You can enter right now to win the trip we are talking about today, the Great Lakes Steelhead School. Right now, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway right now, and you can enter your name and email, and we'll follow up if you win this giant trip, not only to Ohio, to Steelhead Alley, Ohio, but this year we're hitting New York as well. So uh, we got a big trip and a big prize pack, uh, rods, reels, lines, everything you'd expect as normal. Today's episode is sponsored by Trestle, who you know from their game-changing telescopic fly rod roof rack systems. But did you also know that Trestle just released the only universal bike rack system designed exclusively for the angler and outdoorsman? You can check out this new universal rack system at wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now to see their full line of gear-carrying products and the Artist Series apparel. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. Jeff Liskey is back on the podcast to take us back into Steelhead Alley this year, 2023 style, with some bonuses and a big trip. And we're adding New York in this year, so this is going to be a good one to talk about today. We talk about the perfect water temperatures for swinging flies, how to control your fly line, uh, and which fly lines uh, you need to select when choosing the right lines, uh, not only for Great Lakes, but for Steelhead overall. Plus, we get Jeff's 10 tips for Steelhead success this year. Here we go. Jeff Liskey from GreatLakesDude.com. How you doing, Jeff? Great, Dave, man. Always good to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. We were just off air chatting a little bit about the logistics of planning the um, the Steelhead School and everything you have going. It seems like it's always one of those things where I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, the planning, it's a lot. You know, there's a lot because this year we've got Rick Custich coming back or he's coming in on this trip and we got multiple trips kind of going concurrently you know and for you it seems like you're kicking back and fairly relaxed do you ever when, when do you get stressed out with all the trip planning and stuff you know the planning's really fun and the people are fun everything it just uh, mother nature is my stressful point just always yeah. worrying about too much rain not enough rain just like any steelhead trip right yeah that's it. Yeah, it's Mother Nature. So for any of these trips, so you're you're good to go. So once you get on the trip, I mean, the way I do it is I'm, you know, I don't know what it is two weeks out. I think is like the forecast. Okay, how's it looking? How are we looking on everything? And you start thinking about the weather. You know, is it too hot? Too much rain? 
And uh, but at the end of the day, right, you're doing it, and you've got some trips coming up, and we're doing this trip. So we've got you know early December again. We're going to be doing the Steelhead Alley School, and uh, and like I said, we're going to be hitting uh, you know Ohio and New York this year. What what are your thoughts there? You know, on the trip, do you feel like this is going to be pretty similar to what we did last year, which was a huge success, I think. Yeah, Dave. I mean, I think it's sort of like uh, field adjustments, right? So if we, you know, the Ohio group is going to be coming in and there'll be a New York group going into Rick. And um, the great thing about it being a school over like a guided trip is that if you have some adverse conditions where we really can't get into some good water, you can pretty much spend 10, 12 hours on the water just working on casting, looking at flies, and digging into the school part of education and not so much I need to, you know, get a get a fish on the line, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that does. that. We've had that conversation, too, and, uh, you know, with Simon, he was on here, and we were talking with him about some of the stuff, the difference between the schools, the clinics, you know, the, the guide trips and stuff. And I think that's where it comes down with the school, why it is great. Yeah. Is that you got more time. It's not as much pressure. There's more time to, to hang out. And that's, that's what it went, you know, last year, you know, it, that's the, was the beauty is that we all, you know, the whole group was able to hang out. We had some great fishing, um, you know, and it just worked great. And there was, it really felt like there was no pressure, but, um, and I think Rick's is probably going to be the same deal over there. Um, but yeah, let, let's dig into a little bit on, um, just an update from you because we've had you, you got some good stuff going here because we've, uh, we somehow convinced you to do this podcast, which has been amazing. The great lakes dude podcast. And let, let's start there because I, I, I love this. How has that been? We've, I think we're maybe four episodes into it. You know, what does that felt like being a podcast host? A hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> does it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're looking at, a a fishing dirt bag that, you know, 24, seven, 365 days a year, it's fishing. And now I've got to learn some new skill sets with everything with you and you're, you know, mentoring me along on it, but I'm really enjoying sharing the stories from other anglers in the great lakes, because I think there's so many people that are doing it already, like tribes all over just, you know, professional or non-professional and then I meet them, and then next thing you know, like, oh, yeah, I, I got these, you know, freshwater drum up here in Lake Superior. I got these, you know, I'm doing these carp over here, and I think it's just going to be really cool to connect with all those other anglers and share that. And um, it'll be a learning curve for me for educational, like, oh, man, I, I didn't realize that fly could be used. Or, and so I think it'll be very informative and eye-opening just for everybody in general. That's cool. So I think the first couple, and I'll put a, there is a link actually that we create a page at uh, wetflyswing.com slash GLD uh, for Great Lakes Dude. And so we're putting all your episodes there. And, uh, and I think there will be four episodes currently. And I think the last one will be that interview you did with Dave. And so that was pretty cool because you did like a step-by-step steelhead, you know, uh, fishing. And so that's one for people listening now. If you want to dig into steelhead, there's a two-podcast series where you just broke everything down. And I definitely, we got feedback on that, which was great. And then Dave, so it was the first interview. What was that like for you? And, and do you plan on doing more of those interviews? You know, I think I'm going to mix it up a little bit. And um, the first one was great. You know, we had some logistics, getting everything all hooked up. But I'll tell you what, just... I feel a good podcast on my end 
and just like you, I'm sure Dave is like when you do the interview and then you're enthralled with what your, you know, your client or what the, you know, you're interviewing somebody like that, the information they're giving you, like you're on your edge of your seat, like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Right. And that's how I sort of judge it as I go along. It's like, well, that was a really good one. And I'm going to really try to start to mix in some conventional gear fishing and correlate it with fly fishing and see if we can break the code of like why a gear angler can outfish a fly angler most of the time. So I think that's going to be cool. I've learned a lot from that. And um, that's sort of where I'm going to go with the next episode. Then I might do, we'll see how things go. We'll get some feedback and everybody, you know, who's listening to this now, I really greatly appreciate it. If you reach out to Dave or myself and just say, Hey, why don't you do this? Or, I'm more than willing to do like a solo one too on a specific type, you know, topic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that uh, the gear versus fly that that it would be an interesting one to talk about. And just thinking of steelhead, right? That's one of those things where, you know, it was always you, you hear back in the day, right? Well, it starts out, you know, you can only catch these fish with gear, and then then you realize people are, you know, now doing everything with flies, right? Even on the surface which is cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. And I think you're right with the podcast. When you get done with one, you know, right away, you're like, Oh man, that was just some, that's some great, you know, some gold, that's some good content. So this is great. Well, let's, um, let's talk about what you have going here. So you have a couple of podcast episodes. We've got the steelhead stuff going before we jump into that on some tips and tricks, talk about just your year right now. Let's review again. We're we're kind of in the summertime, and I know you got the boat going. What does it look like between now and when we do that trip in early December for Steelhead Alley? What are you going to be up to fishing-wise? Yeah, you know, this whole thing, it's a it's like a musical shell game, right? Duck and goose, Mother Nature sort of dictates where I'm guiding. It could be Lake St. Clair. It can be on a river floating with a raft and um, right out of my home waters on the south shores of Erie. And I'm mainly playing the wind and then using different geographic areas um, and aligning that with the angler's skill set. So, you know, now I'm in peak summer water temperatures. Uh, We struggled in the spring to get some really warm temperatures, so it was a little bit difficult. But now we're in peak water temperatures, 70, 70 to 76 degrees. So the fish are fired up. I'm chasing those big freshwater drum. We got a few, you know, the gar starting to like pack up in the corners, a few shots at carp, but every day has been a new adventure. Like, oh, geez, we're fishing for smallmouth on a, on a shipwreck and we're seeing a couple of those we hit, you know, and then we see a carp and I look back a hundred yards away and I see like six, eight, 10 gar sitting there suspended, just sunning. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, you know, we can't pass this up. Right? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> So we just swing on over there and I've got a rod rigged up with, you know, it's no hooks or nothing. I use a parachute cord and um, I tie it on a spinner wire shank and that's all you need. You throw it out there. And I did learn something cool about the gar when we were just the other day we were out chasing them was that they're pretty blind right up the middle of their sight vision. And they liked the streamer stripped fairly aggressively across their lateral line, sort of like a muskie from their tail along their side of their lateral line. And then they were really good at peripheral vision, but terrible. So you always sort of had to keep it on their peripheral vision side to where they could really just start chewing on it. And then the hard part, have you ever fished for a gar? No, no, I haven't. This is, we did one episode in a, I think it was Texas when we talked about gar. Okay. And do they use hooks there or no? 
Uh, no, let's see. I'm trying to think. He no, they talked about that. That yeah, that's the one thing is that yeah, don't use the hooks and uh, because what do they do? They I can't remember what what the reason is. What what is that again? They're you know they're so skinny nosed and there's no there's nothing to get a hook into. So you when they start eating the fly, they're literally it's like chewing bubble gum. Like uh, you know George Cook chewed the gum with the swinging thing, right? You let let them chew it and chew it, and then eventually. You start seeing they're shaking their heads where that the, all that nylon is getting tangled, and then you don't set the hook. You just slowly pull tight, and then they chomp on, like they close, and they can't get off. Oh wow, they can't get off because it just gets stuck. Yes, in their teeth. Amazing. And then, of course, then things go good from there. <laughs> yeah. What What's the fight like? What What's the fight when you and, and what are the? Because there's a few different. I can't remember which gar. There's some giant gar. There's a few different species, right? Yeah, there is. And then, you know, this, these are not the ones that, you know, you see these epic photos are down in Texas. They're big. These are anywhere from two foot to maybe, you know, four foot long. There's a long one, but um, they jump like crazy. Oh, they wow. like a little live wires, but they jump like crazy. Nice. Um, there's not really a whole lot of pulling drag, but they're more of an aerobatic snake type fight. And then next thing you know, they're in the net and, and you got to keep them in the water and you try to not to, because they're pretty hardy because they can breathe air too. So it's pretty cool. Oh, right. Wow. God, that's so amazing. Yeah. So, and you guys, I saw something, I think on Instagram, you had, uh, you caught some drum, right? Or what did, what was that last one you posted or what, last few weeks? Yeah, the drum, we've been getting the really large um, female drum. You know, they've been up, up in around that, you know, 10 to 15 pounds or more. And, you know, they, that's my summertime go-to, you know, you might have, you know, this, on a good day, you might have 20 connections with those, along with some other miscellaneous, you know, bass and everything else. But I think I'm swaying some people that were thinking that, what is this drum thing? And then when they, we were in around two foot of water the other day and fishing a popper and a drum come up and take a look at it. And so we started sight fishing for these drum, like salt water. And the person's like, hey, you know, I was like a non-believer. But now I'm like, this is fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, and I saw the photo you're sitting out there and you're, I think that's your boat. Is that your boat you're out on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's a sweet boat. So, and you got all your compartments. I mean, that thing looks like it's totally dialed in and and you're in your bare feet. I mean, it looks like you could, <laughs> you could be at the Bahamas, right? It doesn't really matter. Yep, pretty much, except for, you know, in December. <laughs> oh, December, December, yeah, that's yeah. it. But, but the weather-wise, I mean, when does the, uh, up there in the summer, is it just, when does it start changing from the, you know, the nice hot weather? You know, things have been, I think you'll probably agree with me is that there's been like a seasonal shift of weather. Yeah. So like yeah. normally October things start to get a little bit, you know, like a little, little cooler and, you know, the nights are way cooler on a consistent basis, but we've been having some really nice late October, November Indian summers. Um, and our marches have been way colder. So things have sort of shifted a little bit. So I'd say my September is when things are in the trans, you know, the transferring over of water temperatures. You could have a really good day or a really bad day. And then the secret is Lake Erie um, and most fall turnover temperatures are around 58 degrees or so. And once you get after turnover, and it starts getting below 58, 55, 54, the fishing gets really good. But before that, 
in and around that turnover time, fishing can get pretty darn tough. Um, a lot of times I don't even guide during that time because it's just too inconsistent, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's September. So September is the one time where you're maybe not scheduling as much. And then, and then come October, now you're getting ready for steelhead again. Right. And that's sort of the key is that the fall strain that starts to come into the PA and the New York and the Eastern Ohio streams in Michigan, those fish start showing up at the end of September. Yeah. End of September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so then that's, and then that's the start of basically what kind of where we're coming in, where we were looking at December, and instead of doing the earlier, we go in in December because that gives us a little more um, chance, right, to miss uh, maybe maybe miss uh, not missing the fish, right? That's the whole thing is that early on, if you do it early, you might not have the run there as much. But December wise, we're going to have the first run and the second run potentially, right? Is that kind of why we're shooting for that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have the fall run coming in and then we have the winter run coming in. So we've got some, a buffer because these are runoff streams when without any snow melt or precipitation, you know, you, I've had years where there's no fish in the river till after Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. You know, the last two or three years, we've been blessed with a pretty nice wet falls and um we've had some fantastic early season october steelhead fishing um and then also too it puts rick in a really good position for the cataragus because it has a tendency to run pretty silty and um now by december things have calmed down we've got some the groundwater's freezing and you know you stand a chance to get into the premier steelhead alley stream that everybody wants to swing is the cataragus cataragus yeah, right. it's, like, it's beautiful. It's like um, maybe Elk Creek is Pennsylvania's, you know, crown jewel. Well, it's like a Elk Creek on steroids. It's a pretty cool river. Oh, it is. Okay. And so what would it be? Because we were up there last year when we did ours and we hit a bunch of great rivers, small, big, and all that. What what would be the Cataraugus most similar to? Is it similar to any one that, that we fished? Yeah, it's all, you know, it's a spate river just like the one when you fished on the Conneaut or the Ashtabula or all those rivers there, we, it's just wider and it does get a little more intimate as you get upstream. And, uh, you know, Rick, you know, they have some, all areas that they fish, but, you know, some can get pretty broad, you know, where you're going to be making a, a legit, you know, 60 foot, 70 foot spay cast and swinging from bank to bank. There you go. Awesome. And that's the fun part, yeah, about this year is that we have, you know, Rick Kustich, which he just, um, you know, was on on the podcast this week. So we already have him. Um, so we already have a full episode with with Rick talking about what we're going to be doing there. And so, and then this week, we're, we've got this one coming out. And then on Friday, we have uh, the Federation or Fly Fishers International, uh, who's going to talk about some of the stuff they have going around the country and, and up in your neck of the woods. But, um, so well, let's dig into the trip. So we talked, you know, we've, like I mentioned, we've got the episode we did, um, and we've got some good stuff on Ohio and then Rick talked about that. What is, when you look at this trip, do you feel like people that are, that were fishing the, um, with us last year are going to do the same exact techniques with Rick or is it a little bit different? I think it's mostly the same techniques. Rick can get away with some little bit lighter tips in some of his areas but in general, everything will be the same. They're going to have a little different, um, some fly patterns, but bulkly, you know, big, basically it's going to be that, you know, your blacks, your purples, your whites for the emerald shiner base. 
in the same slotty type situations, you know, how we have one run, you might be able to catch them in the tail out, and then you might have a run where you're pretty specific, where you have to do some technical swinging, where you're just basically boondogging it, make a cast to the bank and feed it down a slot. It's same general fishing, but I think just experiencing Rick and his crew to, you know, you're looking at the best of the best in the two-handed uh, world in New York, up north. There's a ton, you know, all over New York. There's some wonderful spade casters. But in that little micro, you know, chasm of that, you know, Steelhead Alley over there, they're they're right up at the top of some of the best ones. Yeah, that is, that's what's cool about this is that I feel like, yeah, last year we knocked it out of the park with what we have going. And then this year I feel like adding the New York with Rick and, and Nick and crew is like just kind of, you know what I mean? I feel like we're doing even a better job this year, even though, you know, like we talk logistically and stuff, there's some work to get this set up. But once we get it and we're on the water, you know, it feels like, yeah, we're really knocking this out of the park. Is that kind of how it looks to you? Yeah. I mean, just if I was looking at it, when I go to a lodge or whatever, and I, you know, just to be able to spend the evenings with somebody that is so intimate with their settings, right? 30 years of 40 years of steelhead fishing and fly tying. And how can you beat not being with that? And, you know, it's just infectious when you sit around drinking a few adult beverages and you're tying flies, you know, it's, I don't think you can spend a better week, you know, doing anything else. No. And and that's what people last year, I think uh, out of everybody who was there, I think that was what really stood out, you know, not, I mean, obviously the fishing was great, but it was just kind of that, you know, the fact that we were sitting there and, you know, hanging out with you and, you know, had the whole crew, um, you know, and Dan stopped by, right. And we had great guides. I think that's, that's what makes this, you know, kind of this epic thing, even though we're not going to the highest, you know, uh, whatever five-star lodge sort of thing, it's um, we're, we're creating our own little deal out there. And that's partly because, you know, in your neck of the woods, you don't really have like lodges right out there, like what you would think of up in Alaska. No, no, there's really, you know, we have one that start, just started up as far as like true, I would say like lodging from top to fin, you know, start to finish. But um, in general, you know, the New York one's going to be, you know, a giant home with Airbnb and, you, you know, you, we'll bring in the chef and everything else. But it, it just, I think it's going to happen. And I think it's going to be more popular, but it's just a, I think mainly because there's not a whole lot going on in the summertime. It's a pretty small window you know, sort of like the BC thing, right? It's a pretty small window. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest Euro Nymph reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate, and you can hold your dead drifts longer without the shoulder burn. This reel is so unique, you may not even recognize it as a fly reel. I had a chance to fish the Stinger reel with Jeff on his home river on the Truckee. The biggest thing that I remember is the weight. The weight really stuck out because you can't even barely tell there's a reel. It's essentially kind of like you're holding a rod all day long. I mean, it's that light. And uh, and when you're Euro-nymphing, that is a key. And the other big thing I remember from that day was catching uh, a fish on my first cast. Pretty cool to be down in that part of the country and, and have some great success with Jeff. Maverick keeps things simple by offering a Euronymph product line with essentials you'll need from rod, reel, fly line, and leader system. Euronymphing doesn't have to be complicated, so let Maverick Fly Fishing get you started right now. You can learn more by checking out Maverick's YouTube channel for some tips and tutorials. 
And you can also head over right now to wetflyswing.com slash maverick to check out the good stuff they have going. That's maverick, M-A-V-R-K, wetflyswing.com slash maverick to support this podcast and take a look at one of the most unique and efficient Euronifing setups on the market. Okay, back to the show. Well, let's talk a little more about the trip. And I know, like I said, we've covered some of this before. Um, you've got the the Great Lakes Dude podcast, which you've covered this. Um, we've talked to you before. But I want to do a little highlight, maybe some uh, some tips. You know, we could have a little list here of people that come in and they want the quick snapshot on, all right, they're heading out steelhead fishing, you know, in the Great Lakes or, you know, or wherever. Let's give them a few tips to uh, to have them see some success this year. Does that sound good? You want to jump into that real quick? Yeah, sure, man. That sounds great. All right. Perfect. So I think, you know, and I always try to, that's the cool thing about the podcast is that it's all out there. It's evergreen. We can go back right now and listen to the past episodes you've done, we've done together, and there's a ton of information. But let's take some of that and just um, summarize that into some tips. So we're going back, you know, to, you know, Ohio, Steelhead Alley. We're going to be hitting this. We're swinging flies for these steelhead what is the, you know, somebody that's maybe wasn't on that trip yet that they're, they're wanting to come this year. What do you tell them? What are a few trips? Let's just, let's start from getting ready and maybe we could take that, the podcast you did, you kind of did a step-by-step on that. Let's, let's start there. How did you form that? So we were doing step-by-step in that two uh, podcast series you did. Yeah. Right. So, you know, report card for a fishing guide, of course, is, you know, you have to, you know, they want to touch a fish and catch a fish and they're just, we just go on record. You know, we we seen it. Do not be afraid to use your single hand rod with a spay line or a small switch rod, and, and do some indicator fishing for the day. You can't be hardcore swingomatic guy. You know, like just be hardcore if you're just beginning, because it's pretty hard to figure out. You know what what is home base for them. You saw how. We fished a lot of long runs, right, Dave? We had three people strung out in it, but there was only one like sweet spot for that whole run, right? Right. And if you were by yourself, you know, you might only get three, four runs a day. But think about, you know, just walking through with an indicator and say, "Oh, that's 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 what's happening there. This is what's happening right. there." So I always tell people to have an open mind when you first get here. And you're going to deal with some water conditions that are, you know, very volatile. That's the hard part of all of the South Shore streams, including New York and Pennsylvania, is that they can go from crystal clear vodka where you can see them to running through the woods and dirty. And that's going to be the obstacle, don't you think, where people really have to, like, keep their eyes open, like, oh, my goodness. Yep. I do. I do. I think that's the big thing. And you've highlighted this before, but that's it that, you know, you are, that's why this school and this trip is so cool is that you're the, you know, you're uh, helping us to get there. You know, we don't know, we we go to one spot, you know, we, we don't go there, we go to another spot. I mean, you're the, I mean, that's why you, you do a trip like this. So you cannot waste a bunch of time going to the wrong places, using the wrong gear. And like you said, the, um, you know, the open mind, I love that too, because yeah, if you plan on swinging flies all day and uh, it's not the right conditions, you might not touch a fish, but if you had, you know, some other techniques, you might get a fish that day in, in the right, in the wrong condition sort of thing. Yeah. And I think having confirmation when you really say, I want to swing some flies and I, I really want to immerse myself with this challenge, I think 
having the confidence knowing that this is the water that they're going to be using for this water temperature and oh this is where they're at i would have thought they would have been there and that's the difference between you know an angler who spends three to seven days a week on a river system we can sort of eliminate water where normally if you were just doing it on yourself you would have to fish a lot more unproductive water rather than being with somebody who says nope don't even throw in there (laughs) right right you know that'd be like me going to your home rivers right i'd be we could probably fish you know a week without you just covering water and you're like nope this is the only place throw here right that's it yeah and that's the advantage of these schools is like trying to just it's hard to build confidence swinging a fly when we don't have that many encounters yeah yeah, that's it. Well, and, and like you said, you're heading up to BC. We're heading up to BC this year, and you know there probably won't be as many opportunities, you know, just because of well, it, it depends, right? You never know any given year, but uh, you're going to get at the Steelhead Owl. You're probably going to get more touches than you will in BC. Is that a valid statement? At least this year or last year? I would think. You know, you you were there, and I'll go on record that um, the last school we did last year, you hit it perfectly. We had many fish. Um, I don't think we had a day that we did not connect with a fish or two each. So we hit it perfectly. And we had multiple fish connections, you know, and you got into the action and you were, you know, just being so gracious and not fishing a whole lot. But during the short period of time that you did fish, you had some encounters too. So what was your thoughts on your overall, like coming from like what I'm used to, maybe a grab every three days to, you know, Steelhead Alley. What do you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely my, you know, my thought was it was, you know, I didn't know quite what to expect, but the couple of things that stood out to me were, you know, the, the, what I wasn't expecting was the action, the activity, you know, the fact that you were getting these kind of tips and touches, you know, like the fish were active, kind of like you would, you know, a potential player on like a BC or a, you know, a West, whatever, summer steelhead, you know, it felt like that. So that was cool. And then just the, you know, just how bright the fish were. I mean, these were, these were steelhead. These weren't like dark, you know, super like red fish that are getting ready to spawn. I mean, these were chrome fish just coming in from the lake. And so they're active. And then, and then the water was cool because it was technical, you know, like you've talked on other podcasts, you had to find the slot, drop it off the slot, you know, and all these cool things. And then, you know, and then when you get a hookup, you get a pole, it's, you know, it's crazy time. So I just, I, I think it blew away my expectations. I didn't really know what to expect. And, uh, and it was good. So I don't know. Does that does that kind of uh, align with your thoughts on people for the first time? Yeah, a lot. You know, many times are like, "Wow." So, in respect to this, that do you feel the grab was any different than uh, West Coast fish? Was it something that you know you had to marinate it more, or like feed it to the fish, or was it sort of like just what you're normally used to in your home waters? And you know, you you cut your teeth and it just shoots with your dad. So what? What's your thoughts on that, considering water temperature, if that makes sense? Yeah, because you were saying, yeah, I mean, water temperatures are key, obviously. And so what is the prime time water temp for when we're out there in December? Well, we're going to be fishing when the water temperatures are in the 30s. Yeah, so th- that's so, how cold they are. They're in the 30s. Yep. So, you know, we will start out the mornings. I hate to say it, you know, that, that water temperature could be 33 degrees in the morning, but spike up to 38 degrees in the afternoons. We happened to hit a few days with some nice sun, and it was a mild early December. 
and we had water temperatures that were touching around 40. In in steelhead verbiage, that's still really cold. Yeah, it is. But we managed to get just a slightly bit over 40 degrees. And man, we had a couple of those fish that just decided to like really, you know, pull out some drag and some pretty good fights, you know, we had. Yeah, that's, and the temperature, when I always think about it, because I think a lot of the summer steelhead and it's been a while since I've been up on the Skeena, but I'll be heading there this summer. And uh, so that's going to be, you know, I'll, I'll be able to get that flavor again. But just thinking about the summer steelhead stuff on the Deschutes or whatever, I mean, yeah, the water temperatures are totally different. I mean, it's a lot warmer. You're in the, you know, temperatures there. It's it's kind of the opposite. You know, you're pushing where it's too hot. You know, we're getting these with the climate change and stuff. We're seeing, you know, whatever. I mean, 70 degrees, you know, so there's times where you're not even able to fish. But I mean, typically you're in the 60s, right? So there's just more, the water's warmer, the fish seem to be, you know, they're just more active. That's the whole thing. But that's what's crazy about these fish. I guess that's what blew me away because these are essentially winter steelhead, right? I mean, that's what it feels like, you know, the conditions, but they're more active than I feel like winter steelhead would be out here. I guess that's my take on it. I'm not sure if that's totally true. Yeah, myself neither. Um I'm more like yourself. I've spent more time chasing the summer runs, but I do know that the summer runs, when you get a temperature drop in water temperature, those first few weeks, they, they dower down. They're really tough to catch. And then once that water stays at that cold temperature, then you, then I think they acclimate. And I think you could, you know, get, you know, get a few more fish than you would, but that first third, fourth week of October, when that water temperature starts dropping down, um, those fish, they can get a little tough too, just like ours. They can get tough too. But I will say our fish, they, you know, in and around the Great Lakes, they are not afraid to grab a fly in water where slush has just burned off an hour. So you're talking 33 to 4, 34 degrees. And it's not like, oh, they're hitchhiking on. There's like a legit, you know, pluck. And like you said, a player, there, there's one there. Maybe, maybe the word verbiage would be like, oh, they show themselves like, hey, they're over here. Yep. Nice. So water temperature is obviously huge. And like you said, just getting to know the area. So if somebody was, you know, going to be hitting that area, they could probably call you or call a fly shop, right. To kind of try to figure out, get a little more Intel. That's the whole thing. How do you, how do you not go and waste a bunch of time in an area where there aren't any fish? So that's kind of a start. What other tips, once you get, let's say they get to the water, they're on a place that they know there are fish. Maybe they, maybe they even saw a fish or touched a fish the day before. What's the tip you're giving them? Now they're on the water, but they haven't touched the fish today. What, what are you telling that person? I would think you really have to, when you're doing that technical swing, like you said, dropping off ledges and trying to feed it into a little shale groove. I think people who just start out swinging flies and they do not really consider the angle of attack with the cast. You know, like a mo tip, they really were meant to cast on a 90-degree angle from, you know, the angler, where a full-on sink tip or, a, you know, a multi-density tip is meant to cast a little bit steeper angle. So you're evaluating it, and if as long as the river's not crowded and you're not going to impede anybody else's, you know, fishing etiquette, I'd recommend them like working down a run and before they make another step is to just try two angles of attack in this, you know, and then how'd that feel? Did that feel fishy? Did, you know, I usually watch that line and just think about it, right? If you're swinging that fly and you just get there 
and you see that swing and that progression through there, think about could that steelhead get your fly? Like, you know, the water's as cold as it can be. And if you see it ripping through there, you know, like Atlantic salmon swing speed or summer, you know, run steelhead speed. Think about, yeah, you, the fish might be there, but there's just no possible way that fish physically can get it in that water temperature. How can you slow that fly down, marinate it in there? And I think that's the key is just, and you don't have to walk through like inch through a run either. You just have to look, make, be more conscious, Dave, of just, I always say, you know, when I fish a run, I ask myself, did I fish that good or not? A lot of times I go through the runs like, you know, I fished it, but I probably could have fished that a little better. And just about the time you're walking out of the run, your buddy's hooked up. All right, right. <laughs> and he picked your pocket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why it's good to have multiple, uh, yeah, multiple people in a run trying different things, right? And we did that. Did we, do you recommend that? I mean, how, well, I guess you got that. You're on your own up there versus say you got you and your buddy or a couple buddies. You know, do you change things up? Is it good to have one person trying this color, one person this, different lines? How, how would you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I always say that if, you know, when you're in the area, no matter what it is, that you should pick, you know, everybody talks about a confidence fly, but, you know, someone should have on a good, a good control fly, which means, you know, you can't beat black purple, right? I mean, just put black purple on, you know, and, and you should, you know, say somebody's going to do that. And then the other angler would pick on a different color fly. That way you don't have to come through again. But, you know, general etiquette is the first angler coming through, comes through with a lighter tip. And then the second angler, your buddy would come through, you know, down and deep and dirty. And that way you're covering both aspects because what people don't realize is that, um, a lot of times if your tip is too heavy and those fish are laying on the inside edge, that fly start, your tip starts tanking. And sometimes you don't catch as many fish with too heavy of a tip, especially in the winter, you know, when they're down there on that soft edge, a lighter tip might be better. So it's not down there, you know, below them. So you just have to sort of think through that. But I've seen also too, where a heavier tip is more of, um, a contact swing, if that makes sense, where you're using that heavy tip to just graze bottom and slow that swing down just enough so they can get on it. You're not dragging bottom, but just a contact, just touch it. It stops that progression of that nice slow swing and it gets that just enough to get it to where those fish can get on that fly in the winter. Yeah, that's it. That's so, again, so now speed, yeah, speed, temperature, it's all connected. And so what are a couple of the, you know, what would one, if you, let's just say typical conditions out there, you know, I don't know, like the, like the first, well, I say, I'm trying to think of the first day we were out there, was it kind of high? I couldn't remember. It seemed like the conditions were pretty good all week, but how, what were the fly, if you had two lines to use, one guy has the lighter one, one guy has the heavier one, what, what are you kind of just roughly putting on there? Right. So we, you know, usually if you're any, you could use a mostly Skagit systems. So you're going to have a Skagit head on either your single hand switch or your two-handed rod. In Ohio, it'll be a switch rod. New York, there's some opportunities to actually get a full two-hander in your, you know, in your hand and bomb it away there. And then your tip selection is going to be somewhere in that 55 grains of tungsten. Doesn't matter if you what tip you use. If you're using 
a T6, T8, or whatever, 10-footer, 8-footer, but you need around 55 grains of tungsten to get you down. Um, and then if you're using a multi-density in the sink category, I would be using, like the first person would be using, I use those SAs, and my light tip would be like a sink 2-4, and then the next one would be a sink 3-5. That would be the that would be the next depth range that I could get into. And the interesting thing is, is that if you have a lighter tip, you could you know, cast across on a 90 and you can manipulate a little bit. And with a heavier tip um, that doesn't have any floating portion to it, you can cast on a steeper angle downstream. So there's two different thought processes of how you can approach these fish. And those tips are all designed to do different things at different angles of attack. Right. Angles attack versus, versus like you said, casting straight out 90, you know, just straight in front of you versus more at a 45 down. Do you, and I guess that all depends again on water speed and depth and all that and what line you're using, depending on your angle of attack. Yeah. So if you think about, um, think about a narrow slot, like you saw that some of these slots are only 15 feet wide. If you threw at a 90 straight across, no matter how many times you mended it, you couldn't stay in the slot, right? Um, so you would, you know, I would recommend putting on a multi-density tip so I could throw on a steeper angle down, a nice big pullback mend, and you can sink that thing down and sort of walk it across that little groove, that little trench and then pull it out. Then if I was fishing something that was a little broader, had a little more working room to adjust your swing, then I would go to a float sink type tip and jack it, you know, 90 degrees across the river. Yeah, that's cool. And I'm trying to think of the river. Gosh, I can't remember. We fished, uh, you know, a number of them out there, but I think, God, I want to say it was the bigger, I can't remember now, <laughs> but we had this great moment where we were there and uh, we had, uh, we met up with, uh, I think it was Justin, Right, and it was that day with the boat. Remember the raft floated by. Yes, I can't remember if we, if we, what, which one that was, but that was a cool day because we were, we were sitting out there. Somebody was, we had the run. You know, Justin was just sitting there, and we had somebody in that hooked up, and we all took turns. I mean, it was that cool, and you know, and you, you made that cast. I think it was down more like a forty-five across, and then we were swinging. Talk about that. Do you remember that situation? What we were using there, the, the conditions and stuff. Yeah, you know, so the rivers. Like I said, you hit it perfect. So we were able to get on the smaller streams. And as those were dropping from like 18 inches or 14 inches of visibility, they we had water to work. So people, and that's the things about these runoff rivers is where when the water's high, they use the whole river. So we were fishing transition water and between the big, the big community pools. So we were fishing like a little bit of a ledge, but this ledge was on a 45 degree angle. And if you remember, we were throwing on a downstream a little bit, and then we would give it a big pullback mend and then just feed it in. And then it would walk off that ledge. And as soon as the 45 degree ledge broke off into that small little bucket, if you want to call it, that's when we were all getting those grabs right on that little transition there. So that was, you know, one of those just classic. Water was maybe 18 inches of visibility. We had flow. And if we visited that two days later, there would be no fish there. Oh, wow. God. 
So those fish would have migrated up or downstream, found some more uh, of a secure base camp. And so what we did was then we progressed over to the Grand River and um, fished some of the larger rivers, you know, the Cuyahoga, the Grand, you can progress there as the smaller streams get, you know, a little bit too low and clear to swing. I like it when the rivers, you can fish all the waters. When I'm stuck in hitting all the community pools, there's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you're going to be sharing water with people. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So that, that was it. And that was a fun day. I mean, they were all, they were all good days, but so that's a good example of, you know, uh, and the pullback men was another great, you know, another great tip, right? Doing that big men to really get it set. So it's just, it's ready to drop down and use that line to, to do the fishing for you. Um, and, and so that was one really cool, let's talk, let's throw a casting tip. We got this little list going here. Um, and you gave me a, a couple of tips that week that really helped out. So if you have somebody who's new, you know, or new or struggling with the spay, what, it, what is the tip? Where, where do you start with somebody who's kind of struggling a little bit to, um, you know, we all struggle at certain, you know, to a certain extent, but what's your casting tip for somebody or where do you start with somebody? Cause it's hard to analyze, right? Because everybody's like, whether you're brand new or have some experience. Yeah. Right. We're not all Brian Niska, right? That's yep. or, Timmy, or Timmy Arsenal or any of the, you know, Travis Johnson's we're not, we're yep. not them. Yep. You know, I'm a hack but the first thing I'd like to just to confirm is that we all want to improve on our casting, but I'm really not concerned. I think what ends up happening is everybody um, makes their cast, Dave. And the first thing they do is they lower the rod to the river surface pretty low. And what they don't realize is the minute you lower the rod and the line hits the water, you're engaging fishing i want people to really even if it's a crummy cast if it hits out there i really want you to be aware of like keeping the rod higher and if the object is to sink the fly and not you know skate a fly or swing a wet fly to get it really going with a nice broadside and you're trying to sink that fly think about leaving that as soon as you stop the rod high finish and leave the rod high and feed that line down in there, like feed it in, like you make your mend, feed that line down and slowly drop that rod down with the rod position upstream and give it some slack. And even if you have the little step mend to feed it in there first to drop off those ledges and that rather than just letting it touch the water and just let it ram through there. So that'd be the good fishing tip. I see, I'd say 90% of I have to work with just getting that line in the right little position, like you said, technical. And then I think the next really good casting tip for Skagit casting, everybody, you know, you know, you constantly hear slow down, slow your roll, this, that, everything. But I think if everybody looks and thinks about the way, you know, the power of a spade cast is the D loop, the number one fault generally with a, with, a Skagit cast is that if the rod tip never gets high enough off the surface of the water, like when you're in your, when you circle up before you make your forward cast on your forward delivery, if you just raise your rod a little bit, the gravity of that big Skagit line, it forms the D loop for you. 
We're not forcing that line underneath the rod tip like a Scandinavian or traditional long, you know, longer line cast. We're we're basically just no pause. You raise the rod, you circle around to you know to your firing position, more like a Belgium cast, and then if the rod has the right height, the D loop is formed for you. I see so many anglers that the rod is really low and they you can't get the, the 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 line will not get under the rod tip to form a D loop, and so if you just basically you know low high go, I think that was Scott Howell's uh, analogy was that just go low, come around high, keep it going, and ninety like Jerry French and those guys they just they keep things going, but they get the rod just high enough to get that line D loop up under the rod tip. Yeah, that's perfect. So. High enough, but not too high, right? Because if you could go too high where you maybe pull your anchor, is that also a potential problem? Absolutely. You know, everybody wants to, you know, like really hit it. But what I've seen is imagine like somebody who's, you know, vertically challenged like myself, right? My position of rod is going to be different than, you know, the average six foot uh, angler, female or even male, right? So they're their their right hand or their left hand and their dominant on their forward stroke, it could be their shoulder height. But in my situation, it might be at my ear. So being very, you know, conscious of with your body dynamics, because my height of my rod tip changes from the time I'm in six inches of water or I'm wading up over my wading belt. And, you know, you want to come up and keep that same distance. So the deeper you go, the harder, the the reason why casting in deep water is hard is because you're still maintaining the same rod height, which you've shortened your rod by three feet because you're deep, you know, you're three and a half feet deep in the water. Exactly. That's the challenge with the changing. I remember that early on when I was, you know, just challenged with that. Yeah. You're, whether you're in ankle deep water casting, that sometimes can be a lot easier than if you're waist deep. And then, so what is the, what's the tip there? What do you tell somebody if you're going from say a, a low, shallow river and then the next, you know, the next later that day you're on a deep, what do you tell somebody there? So your eyes are your best tool, right? So people always have the tendency to look out where they want to cast and look for fish and see how the cast hit. But always think about, you know, when you're circling up is that's, that's our golf tee. I'm a visual learner. And when I watch, when I get deeper, I physically watch. I don't even watch my hand position. I watch as that sweeps around and we start to form that D loop and we're coming around the corner, that nice sweep around. If I notice that it's just got too much, you know, line stick on the bottom leg of the D loop. And I notice the cast goes out, but it's like a turd of a cast. (laughs) Yeah. Still fishes, but. I'm like, man, that one, you know, that one sucked. Yeah. I'll reevaluate my next cast and raise my hand position a little higher and then watch it. And I might raise too high. Like you said, if you raise too high and you break your anchor, then, then, you know, you, you've like, okay, now I've got to adjust. Cause you know, think six inches raising your hand up or down is, is quite a bit, right? I think it could, you know, a good value too, is that that one of the other reasons why you know anglers break their anchor is they never sweep out the rod tip to a 45 degree angle and around to the firing position like that like that oval cast they have a tendency to come sweeping around 
and we, you know, everybody calls it the cut the corner. They come sweeping around the corner and right into their firing position. And that's a sure way to break an anchor too. Right. Gosh. Yeah. There it's, there's always, that's the cool thing about it. there. There's a lot going on and, but again, it's one of those things where there's always little things you can pick up, you know, as far as your cast and we're talking spay, you know, more two handed, but yeah, I mean, I guess this actually, this could be single handed spay too, or right. St the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. It's, you could use your three weight. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, most good fishing locations there's where a place that you don't want to fish. <laughs> That's right. Or hard to get to that. I, I always yeah. think we were, we were, we were fishing trout this week and I was thinking like, okay, where is the hardest place to get to? Like, that's probably where you want to go because the thousand people before probably, you know, not as many of them could get there. Is it the same way? Do you think of that with steelhead? It's everywhere. I mean, if I'm going down any river and I'm like, oh, that looks like a sweet spot to fish, but I don't, you know, it's like, how in the heck am I doing it? I might even have to cross the river fishing from the other way. And I might even lose, you know, I might get frustrated and might have my rod tips slam the top of the trees up above me and. And then people would just say, heck with this, I'm out of here, where I'm the guy that's going to dig in and make some type of horrible cast to get it out there. But usually that's the one that I connect with the fish for, for the day. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. No, I love it. That's part of the... Yeah, I mean, depending all these rivers, right? And we have, I mean, we saw that on the Deschutes. I mean, I'm in fact, I'm thinking about doing a, a, a river etiquette episode just because, you know, we had such a situation with the uh, the crowds you know, and, and some a connection with some, actually some guide, some guides out there. And, uh, and so I think that, you know, the pressure is one thing we had that too. Remember that first day we went out, we went out to the first place and there was like a lot of cars Yeah, and, and it turned out, it worked out great because obviously again, we had you there. So, you know, I don't, if I would have been on my own and I came to a place that there was 15 cars or something, 20 cars, you know, I'd be like, okay, well now what, you know, but like you said, that's part of the game plan. What is plan B? What's plan C? And we kind of had that uh, geared up, right? So that's probably another good tip is always have plan A, B, and C or more. Yeah, you do. So you have to think about being, um, you have to be a hunter. You know, I think uh, Travis Johnson, he, I think that was his uh, analogy is that you have to be a hunter. You know, you have to be a hunter on your waters because there's so few fish that you have to hunt for each fish. Well, when the angling pressure really comes in on weekends, you have to be a hunter. You can't think about, I'm going to swing in front of, you know, four or five fish in a pod in a nice run because those runs are taken up. You've got to think about moving through fishing one little area, one little bucket to get a fish. Let's remember a fish, you know, a 36 inch steelhead can lay in a hole, you know, that's the smallest as, you know, the front of a uh, front of a hood of a truck, right? So it doesn't need a lot of water. I've caught plenty of steelhead in places that no one would think of there might be paired up in there but they're just i'm i'm fishing for one fish at a time you know that's going to be my eject button for the day like well nobody there right wind in six casts right right six good casts get it done and just walk away yeah even if there are a bunch of people just up around the corner in one of the pools or something like that there's always you could probably always hike around, find a spot that maybe didn't have. You, you get that little window, right, before that fish gets, you know, pushed around. Right. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, just, just got to be, you know, be uh, versatile, right? Just have open-minded from any situation that comes at you. The best anglers that are most successful with connecting with fish are the ones that can adjust the quickest during the course of the angling day. 
if that makes sense. Putting the puzzle together quicker. Right. So something happens, whether that's, you know, 20 cars at the spot you were planning on going to, or maybe, maybe you got a, a, a inch of rain the night before and, uh, you know, and that water that you were planning on fishing isn't quite right, right? You got to be ready to roll. And it feels like that's what you guys kind of have there with, with the system. You've got enough rivers that, yeah, if one comes up, there's probably going to be something out there. And, you know, unless it gets really crazy and, and everything blows out, then you just maybe wait a little bit. What's the worst case scenario? You know, you, you're out there fishing and things blow out. I mean, I guess, yeah, obviously you could have huge flooding and stuff, but typically those blow out for like a day and then they clear up pretty quick. You know, um, most of the runoff rivers, if after uh, 24 hours, we could get back in the stream, but you're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to have some issues sometimes that if you get a lot of it, you know, you might have three days before it actually clears up to where you can even get in them, right? And expect, you know, cause you got trees coming down, right? Um, that's when you take your two handed rod off the pier heads and, um, you would strip bait fish patterns and bomb them out there and do the two-handed strip, you know, or, you know, do a strip, you know, off the pier heads and connect with the steelhead that are coming in from the lake into the river systems. Oh, okay. That would be my fishing harbors. That's my backup. Oh, okay. So you're talking, so you got the river system like we fish, but you could literally just go down lower in the system to get off of the, uh, the, the blown part of the river if you had to. You'd be casting a fly in the lake proper. Oh, wow. That's yep. cool. Yep. So you would, so you're going to have that plume of muddy water coming out, you know, meeting, you know, meeting the clear water out in the lake. And then those, that transition, every fish that was staging off the harbor is going to start thinking about piling up that high river, right? That little surge of, and so we're just going to ride that conveyor belt of fish that sniffing that water sand. As they're coming through, we're fishing that mud line between the clear and the dirty. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's something I hadn't thought about. And I think that's one of the cool things. I don't know. I feel like that's how I am, and I've kind of evolved into that. But, you know, it seems like I've never heard an opportunity now that I wouldn't want to do. You know, it seems like all these, like, that would be cool, going out with you for the drum on your boat. It kind of seems like everything, and it feels like that's kind of how you are too. Do you, do you feel like the diversity is what you really love and instead of really niching down into just one thing? I do. I mean, so if I, you know, when I hire a guide, my usually reply is that I want to do what you would do on your day off today. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm not worried about catching a fish. Um, I want to learn. I want you to enjoy your day and put them relaxed or it's not like, oh, I got to catch a fish. And I've had some guides say, hey, I normally don't take people here because they're just waiting. is just horrendous. But let's, you know, this is where I would go. It just, I think it just puts the guide at ease. And I think just, I like that because it's always like an exploratory trip too. I think I really enjoy that. Like you said, I'm not afraid to get skunked. And I'm most certainly not afraid to try something different because that's how we learn, right? Fly fishing is always in full swing at Drifthook. Let Drifthook Fly Fishing outfit you with the perfect assortment of flies to prepare for your next adventure. Everything from nips to dry flies, hoppers to streamers and their Euronip fly kits are pre-packed in a double-sided water-resistant fly box. These kits ship free directly to your door, ready to start catching some fish. If you're starting out or just looking for additional tips to help you catch more fish, Drifthook.com has over 50 instructional videos and over 200 articles to help you improve your fly fishing game. 
And I want to reiterate this fact right here that Drifthook has a great resource at the website. Matt has put together some awesome blog posts. And these aren't just flabby blog posts. They are packed with lots of great content to help you on your next adventure, wherever it takes you this year. With over 150 verified five-star reviews and a 30-day money-back guarantee, Drifthook's family-owned business has you covered. You can order right now at drifthook.com and use the code SWING at checkout to get 15% off your first order. That's Drifthook, D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K, drifthook.com, and use SWING, S-W-I-N-G, at checkout to get 15% off your first order. You support this podcast in a great small company right now by checking out that link at Drifthook. Well, let's leave it as we take it out of here. Let's give us one more general tip. So we've talked, we've kind of run through this, you know, a few little bonus. I'm not sure how many how many we have here, but this is going to be a good little list. What would be one more? So somebody's planning, let's say that they might even coming on the Steelhead Alley School that we have going or, or just in general, you know, what would you give them? Like they're planning their Steelhead in the Great Lakes this year. You know, what's one broad thing you tell somebody? I think, let's go to, so the one would be not afraid to drive to better river conditions than fight a bad water condition. So, you know, I'd rather spend an hour and a half, two and a half hours in a car driving to a really good water conditions than basically being hosed and fishing just unfavorable conditions. So runoff rivers, you know, in this geographic area, you're going to have to be able to be open-minded of driving to the better conditions. And then I think the next is once you sort of figure things out is making sure that your leader or your tippet, whatever you want to call that from your end of your sink tip to your fly is the, you know, play around with that lead length a little bit. I think that's going to be a good tip because, you know, you could go from anywhere from four feet to 14 inches. And a lot of times if the water gets cold, I see a lot of anglers that, will fish just a little bit too long. Right. And, and, you know, you say that when it drops off the ledge. So I think just keep an open mind and, and be a little experimental with lengthening that up, you know, that, that, that distance, and then playing around with non-weighted B-chain or lead-eye flies to adjust of what you're trying to accomplish for that run, if that makes sense. Yeah. That does. And, and so when we have, you know, and that, I'm glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that. And that was when you mentioned that on the first episode we did, you know, that really blew me away because, you know, 14 inches was not a length of leader. I had fished too often unless I snapped off my leader fishing it. I was like, it was dark and I had to tie on a fly. But what you're saying is, you know, that is the length. I mean, we use that a lot. I think we are somewhere around there. And the idea there is that, you know, if it's too long, if it's four feet, your fly might be floating up above and not in the zone versus, you know, you're in the zone. Is that kind of what it is? It is. So four feet's great. It'd be just like a normal leader. We would normally think about steelhead, you know, or maybe way longer for summer runs. But think about if you do not have the water to manipulate the fly to get it in the fish's zone, like a nice tail out or a nice, you know, that nice deep gut run where you have time to really get it in there. But if it's, if it's like right now, like or you're casting and sinking it down off of a ledge where it goes from 18 inches to four feet within about a five-foot span of swing, there's just no way you can ever drop that fly in there because the fish's metabolism is so dowered down. 
So you got to put it, always think about putting it on the dinner plate, right? Right. <laughs> Serve it up. Serve it up to him. Make Serve it, it easy. Yeah. Or I mean, lazy. So were you sort of surprised when you started getting fish and it was like almost attached to your sink tip? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I don't, you know, I remember when you first said it, I was like, wow, okay, that's short. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just there. I guess that's the thing. It's not, they're not really that spooky, right? I mean, even if you're within a foot or whatever of your, of your fly line of your tip, you know, they're not really seeing that. That's the thing. They're seeing the fly first. Is that why, now, why aren't they getting spooked by that line? Is that kind of what it is? I think it's the, it's how you approach the, the, you know, the receding water conditions, you know, the levels. Like if I was to do that, you know, let's, let's just confirm if you were to do a 14 inch leader and it's, you can see the fish in front of you, you would have the river flow to like move the fly anyway. That's the, the disadvantage of runoff rivers is when it gets really clear and you want to use a longer leader, we do not have the flows. Like where your rivers, you could be crystal clear and have that soul and heart to push the fly. By the time we get that clear, we're, we're stripping streamers or we have, you know, a little six weight single hand spay and we're using floating lines and just weighted flies. So, you know, there's a pretty diverse window of like, the adaptation of what we can do from one extreme to the other. I mean, I'll have a 10 foot leader on with a sinking fly light bead chain when it's low and clear in that same river, the week, a week where it was high, I'd have a 14 inch leader. Right. So we didn't do that on, on our trip. We really, I don't think we broke out any, any of the, the long leader dry line. Is that just because the water was right? Or is there a chance that we might break that out if we get some really low condition, clear con- conditions? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it gets low and those fish are in there and we don't have the, the soul to push it along, we're going to be using floating lines and just small weighted flies and maybe an intermediate, like a clear intermediate tip. And then, and of course, we're not going to be slashing the water um, a lot. We'll be trying to use maybe, you know, some overhead casts and some touch and go casts to come through there pretty All quietly. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, Atlantic salmon style, you know, they, once it gets really clear, they know you're there when you start like ripping you right. know, your white mouths across the top of the river. They're like looking at you like, yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how do you do it there? So when you got that, I mean, yeah, you just have to be very subtle and just, you can't rip it across and touch and go or even, yeah, keep it in the air sort of thing. Yeah. If, if it gets that point, I, most of the time it's going to be, you know, in the air. If I can get some back casting room just to get it in the air or some nice touch and go cast and just make it really stealthful, you know, and just sort of just feed it in there. And the only good thing is when you have that technique is you have the presentation, you have the site, you have the presentation, and then you're going to have some type of feedback. Like did the fish move for the fly or not? Cause I can see it. <laughs> mm, right. You can see it. Exactly. Yeah. If you, <laughs> that is pretty crazy, right? You're actually watching the fish and you can see what it does. Yeah. It burls awesome. up on the undercut bank. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Well, this is, this is a good job. I think we got it. We've done another good job of uh, creating a list of some, some tips and some of these things we talked about before, but I think it's always good to uh, reinforce things because, you know, there's always, uh, I always forget. I know that's the cool thing about the podcast is that you can always go back and circle around. Um, but yeah, let me just highlight what we have going. So we're, we've got the steelhead school that we are launching right now, as this is going, we're doing a giveaway. So one lucky person's going to win 
the trip to head out there and then also is going to win a bunch of gear, which this year we've got a, a bunch of great brands on, including you mentioned one of them, Scientific Anglers. Um, they have a line. Remind me again on that. What is the line? If somebody wants to go pick up, you know, the all-around uh, spay line from SA, what is that one? In my area, it would be the Scientific Angler Spay Light Skagit. And I'd recommend getting it with the incorporated shooting line incorporated with it. So you're not dealing with a loop to loop. Oh yeah. Um, and the reason why I recommend that line for this geographic area is because you can use it for your smallmouth fishing. You can use it stripping streamers in for steelhead. And if you really had to, you could put a floating tip on it and fish an indicator, not the best, but if you, you know, if you're breaking down and crying for mommy, you know, you can always, you know, put a bobber on and, and, and give, use that. Not the best, right. but it would work. You could do that, right. So that's it, the spade light. That's awesome. And then, and like you said, you could also put on some heavy sinking lines if you need to and, and get down and, and dirty with it, right? Yes, absolutely. Good. Okay. Well, there's a there's a little uh, bonus deal there. And, and we do, we, I will mention, we're going to be mentioning uh, throughout the week. Um, and like I said, we had Rick on earlier and then just all the other brands as we do this giveaway. So we're going to be launching. So this is going right now. People can sign up um, and I'll have some links in the show notes at uh, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. So that's one place. And then also we're going to be actually having a few slots that should still be available this week on uh, people that want to actually just purchase a, a spot for this. And, uh, and that will be at, um, that'll be at wetflyswing.com slash steelhead school. And so we got a couple of things. And I guess the third thing we have going on here, we'll, we'll kind of highlight it here is we are working on a course and you obviously have all of this knowledge because you've been doing it, but we're putting together something a little more, um, for people that come along on the trip, um, or that who can't come along afterwards, we're going to have some course material that people can actually purchase and learn some of the things we're take it deeper. I think, you know, these podcasts are amazing because, we're stepping people through, but I know people are listening right now thinking like, man, I want four more hours of Jeff, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's get this thing. So that's the plan with the course. Are you, how are you feel about the course? I know this is going to be a little new for, at least for us working together on it, but do you feel like we can put together something from the coursework end that really will be something people could take home and learn on top of what we talked about here today on the podcast? Yeah, it just breaks it down. It just me and you could do 10 podcasts, Dave, and we would still never graze all the information i i learn by visual sight like a pdf or i look at a slide or i look at something and then you know how much can the brain like a cache memory how much can you really remember on a podcast you're taking notes but right when you can refer back to it even if you're on the river you can refer back to it it's sort of like that cheat sheet right that's sort of how i feel that this these all the school you know all these schools that you're going to be offering i feel like it's that little cheat sheet like me writing my uh my notes on my hand trying to pass high school, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> try to, try to make it through the the high school. Yeah, I know it's uh yeah, you're on a test, right? Those are the worst. I'm so glad that I really don't take tests anymore. Did you, did you hate the tests back in high school and stuff? Of course I did. That's why the note, notes were on the back of my hand. Or there, was a, <laughs> there was a really smart girl by me that helped me out. Right. I know. That's <laughs> it, man. I gosh, that's so good. So yeah, what you got out, this is a kind of like, like a tangent, but you know, I, we talked about this on your history and stuff, and I'm just kind of curious here, you know, when you got going on it and you kind of realized where you are now, and I know you've evolved over the years, but how good did that feel when you felt like, wow, this is, I found my place this, or did you find it so early that you even knew before you were into high school and stuff? Like when, when did you know, I can't remember that. When did you know your track was what you're doing now? 
I think I realized it, you know, going into high school that no matter how much I fished, I could not get enough. Oh, and the scary man. thing about it is it, it, it must've been a good decision because it's still the same way today. It doesn't matter if I'm fishing for bluegill or what, but it's just like, Oh yeah, I, I'll fish again tomorrow. It's I'm, I'm really bad at office work. Right. Really, that's good. Really good at fishing. <laughs> no office work. Well, that's what's been cool about you doing the podcast. Cause it is another little thing. You have to sit down on the mic and do it, but it, it is, it is pretty cool. I want to hear on your boat really quick too. Um, so this boat, I've been seeing some of the photos on Instagram and stuff. Um, it, tell us what that boat is. Cause it looks like you've got, I mean, compartments all over the place. This thing's pretty, but, and then it's clean. It's, it looks like you can fish all around the boat. What, what type of boat is that? So that is a 22 foot Ranger. It's a multi-species boat that the wall, the professional walleye anglers use. It has a deep V that allows me to get through some pretty rough water of the Great Lakes. It's an extremely fishing platform. You know, you have a 300 horsepower on the back just to get you around, but it also has a small kicker, which I use in bigger river situations to maintain speed. It has, you know, the front bow mount, two big casting platforms. It has five fish finders, you know, the side imaging where I can see bait you know, off the sides, um, it has live scope, which means I can literally watch and track the fly. When you're moving your fly through a school of fish, I can track your fly to see if the fish are following it. Oh, wow. If you get an eat, Dang. I can see their disposition. Wow. So this is not your normal, this is not, I'm just thinking my old school uh, fish finder stuff. This is a whole nother level of like tech with the imaging and stuff. It is, it is. And I'm still by far nowhere near a master Dave with this live scope stuff, mm -hmm. but it is, um, I will say that when anglers don't get a hit and, um, if you can't see the fish, believe me, there's fish that have been following your feathers. <laughs> mm, that's right. You're seeing it. So fish are following and turning and not taking and all sorts of stuff. Yes. Now, just because you have all this fancy, fancy pants equipment doesn't make them bite. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Yeah. God, that's so cool. I, and you, I mean, that's the fun part about it because you're out there right now, right? The, the, you got the boat out there like every day you're kind of thinking you're, the lake is where you're at. 25 minutes from now, that boat's going to be at the ramp. Oh, wow. Good. Well, I'm going to, I'll let you get out of here that. that <laughs> yeah, no, but every day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know. So yeah, we're going out and we'll do it and. You know what's interesting about a fishing guide is that we are really simple. Where we left the fish biting, we are going to go back to that same place if the weather hasn't changed. We're really simple. It's a very, then when we go there and they don't bite or they're not there, that's when the skills of a, of a good guide comes in. Right. Where's yep. plan B, right? So that's probably what's going to happen today. <laughs> yeah, good. All right. Awesome, Jeff. Well, I'll let you get out of here. We will uh, obviously put links and everything in the show notes, and this is going to be a fun week. We're announcing the winner live uh, next week on Facebook, so we'll be doing that. And then, um, yeah, thanks again for another episode, and we'll send everybody out. Obviously, the Great Lakes Dude podcast is is kind of part of the network here, and we're you're doing some great stuff. I'm excited. I always love seeing the new episode because I have no idea what you're doing next. And whenever it comes out, it's like, I'm a, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm kind of a host, you know, of this obviously, but I'm a fan of what you have going. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a great year. Excited to keep going. And thanks for your time today. Yeah, Dave, always thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure working with you there. I'm super excited for the school again. And, uh, if anybody has any questions, just reach out to Dave and I, and we can knock it out of the park for you, man. Thanks, Dave. There we go. 
webflyswing.com slash 477. Right now, you can head over to 477 to get the show notes and follow up with some of the stuff Jeff talked about, including, I'm sure we'll have some links to fly lines, scientific anglers. We talked about them today. Some other tips and tricks, episodes we've done in the past. You can get it all there right now, webflyswing.com slash 477. A reminder before we get out of here, right now you can win. This is the last day, the very last day to win a potential chance at a trip to the Great Lakes Steelhead Alley School. Right now we're going to be fishing with Jeff Liskey and Rick Kustich, both New York and Ohio this year. Plus we've got a big gear package. If you want to get on this, check it out right now, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. Enter your name and email and we'll follow up if you are a winner. And actually tomorrow... Tomorrow night, we're doing a live event, wetflyswing.com slash live, where we are going to announce the winner, the only place to find out. Uh, first place who won is on that live event. You can check it out. Plus, we give away some bonus uh, products always on that one. So I'm not sure exactly what we got this year, but you have a uh, another chance to win tomorrow. So check it out. Let's take a quick where we are heading next. Let's take a quick peek. Uh, we're heading Friday this week. We're heading to uh, check out, uh, check in with the executive director of Fly Fishers International. Uh, they're our conservation partner on this uh, on this trip, on this giveaway. You can check in on Friday and find out what Fly Fishers International has going as I chat with the executive director there. And then next week, we're heading back in, uh, back to uh, look for some uh, cutthroat. We've got River Horse, and of course, um, the Great Lakes dude is going to do a follow-up next week. So, uh, so I'm going to leave it at that for now. Hope you are having a good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to checking in with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.